on a cold morning in February of 2001. 23-year-old Stephanie Welch would drop her two young boys off at preschool and daycare. Hours later, her vehicle would be parked at a local mobile home park, and an unknown man would be seen walking away. Stephanie would never be seen again. This is Midwest Mystery Files, Episode 27, The Disappearance of Stephanie Welch. Hey, hey Bays! This is Alicia. This is Katie. And this is Paige. And we are Crime, crime Bay. Bay! We are a true crime podcast bringing you at least one episode a week. And we are going to cover a wide range of topics uh, varying from the more known, well-known stories, your serial killers, to the more lesser known um stories such as supernatural super- myths legends yes. cryptids yes we know you guys want to know about mothman mm-hmm. who doesn't um and we're gonna be fun and humorous at the appropriate times too and sometimes the inappropriate and times. sometimes inappropriate <laughs> we got to make ourselves laugh to keep from crying you know sure you follow us on instagram tiktok twitter and facebook all at crime bay podcast Thank you so much. We look forward to uh, making you a bang. Thank you, bang. Hasta la pasta. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Midwest Mystery Files. I'm your host, Jeremiah, with just a few quick things before we start. Midwest Mystery Files is a true crime podcast focused on missing and murdered cases within the Midwestern region of the United States. I can be found on all major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube with delayed episodes. Social media and contact information will be listed at the end of the episode. If you wish to support the podcast and help fund article and record searches, as well as get early access to episodes, bonus episodes, and voting rights, I encourage you to check out my Patreon, at patreon.com backslash Midwest Mystery Files. I would also like to take this moment to thank my amazing patrons, Laura, Katie, and Teresa. The majority of my article and record searches would not be doable without their contributions. Next, be sure to check out the Crime Bay podcast, whose trailer you just heard. Paige, Katie, and Alicia are amazing and entertaining hosts who do fantastic work. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts. And last thing before we start, uh, today's case might be a little bit shorter. This was actually going to be two cases, but uh, I this was originally supposed to be recorded last week, but I was dealing with some nasty congestion and a cold. And this week, my throat's still not doing much better. I don't know if you can hear, but I do have this weird annoying Kardashian-esque vocal fry, and I'm afraid the longer I talk, or the longer I talk on two cases, I might start to lose my voice or mess it up more, so I'm only going to cover the first case. The second case, I think I will try to, because it's written and everything, I will try to release as maybe an extra supplemental episode next week. In the meantime, though, if you don't want to wait that long, the case I'm cutting out is on Rachel Pratt, And you can hop over to the Crime Scene and Cupcakes podcast, who I have also played a trailer for in the past. Uh, She recently did an episode 
Marianne over there recently did an episode with Patrick from Not Adding Up on Rachel Pratt. And it's very informative, so if you don't want to wait for me to release that supplemental episode, I highly suggest you go over and listen to them. I actually suggest you go listen to them anyway. And that's uh, the Crime Scene and Cupcakes podcast. But um, as I was just talking about not wanting to lose my voice anymore, we'd best get started. So with uh, no further delay, on to today's episode. Stephanie Darlene Welch was born Stephanie Peterson on July 1st, 1977 to Jeffrey Peterson and Rhonda Watts Peterson. I do want to note real quick that that is Stephanie with an F. So S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E. I could find very little on her early life, but from what I could find, she was one of seven children with five sisters and one brother. And that her mother... Rhonda, passed away in 1984, when Stephanie would have only been 16. Her father would remarry the next year. In February of 2001, 23-year-old Stephanie was living in Lakin, Kansas, located in Kearney County in southern Kansas, where she was working at a cattle processing plant. At some juncture, she had married 42-year-old Brian Welch, with whom she had two young boys, aged five and one and a half. During this time of February 2001, the couple was reportedly estranged and in the middle of a divorce after splitting up in August of 2000. And Stephanie was living in a mobile home with her two sons. She was also reportedly in a relationship with a man by the name of Ray D. Moore. Something I do want to note real quick, in case you go off to look at this case on your own. Uh, the Charlie Project, um, as well as anything that's ever used the Charlie Project as a source, has Ray listed as Roy D. Moore. Um, from what I could tell from all the articles, the numerous articles I read from the time of this case in the early 2000s, he is always listed as Ray. So I don't know if a spelling error was made somewhere down the line, and that's what everyone rolled with. But from what I could tell, his name is Ray and not Roy. Um, anyway, carrying on. Wednesday, February 28th, 2001, started like a normal day for Stephanie and her two boys. It was a cold morning, with temperatures that morning sitting in the teens, and a high of 22 degrees Fahrenheit for the entire day. It's believed Stephanie had possibly planned to spend the day, or at least part of it, moving items from her mobile home to the home of Ray Moore. The two were reportedly planning to marry the following July, once Stephanie and Brian Welch's divorce was finalized. Before that, however, she would need to brave the cold morning with her two boys and drop them off at preschool and daycare. According to an official timeline, Stephanie dropped her older son off at preschool and then her younger son off at daycare at approximately 9.15 a.m. At 6.20 that evening, Ray Moore would receive a phone call from the daycare that Stephanie had never picked up her son at the normal time of 5.30. Ray would pick up Stephanie's son and at 7 p.m. he called the Kearney County Sheriff to report her missing. 
when he described the vehicle she had been driving, a 1990 silver Mazda 626, which belonged to Ray, he was informed that the vehicle had already been located earlier in the day. At approximately 12.30 p.m., the vehicle was parked between trailers 4 and 5 in the Pepper Trailer Park, located on Osborne Street in Lakin. Stephanie did not know the occupants of either trailer or anyone else in the park. It was reported by witnesses that the man dressed all in black was seen walking away from the car. Inside the car was Stephanie's wallet, with $500 cash, as well as her jacket. Pepper Trailer Park was reportedly only a block and a half from Stephanie's home, but the car had the appearance of being well-driven that day, with ice and snow being found on the vehicle. There reportedly was no snow in the immediate area at the time, and while the exact mileage has never been stated, the odometer showed that significant miles had been covered that morning, showing that the vehicle most likely had left the immediate area and probably even gone out of town. Back at Stephanie's home, signs showed that she had likely been there. The lights were on and Stephanie's computer was running. However, these were both things that she would have turned off if she were to leave. Welch's friends and family would waste little time beginning a search for their loved one. In the first several weeks, posters would be passed around and police would check ditches, culverts, and old buildings, but would be unable to find any sign of Stephanie. Unfortunately, in those early days, police efforts would also be hindered by speculation and conjecture by people in the Lakin community. In the March 8, 2001, Garden City Telegram article, Kearney County Sheriff James Jarbo would state, quote, I've heard rumors about bodies being found south of town, north of town, east of town, and west of town. They're saying bodies are found in trunks of cars in Cimarron, trunks in Deerfield. Everywhere I go, I hear the body has been found somewhere. It's totally bizarre. He would go on to state that the rumors were not helping, and that at the time, the investigation was at a stalemate. However, in the same article, Stephanie's grandmother, Ellie Mae Watts, would state that the rumors may not be a far-off base, telling the telegram, quote, They think it's suspicious, but they can't prove anything. They think he did it. This quote was particularly interesting, as she would go on to state that the police had told her to stay quiet about who he was, and Sheriff Jarbo would follow up by stating that there were no official suspects because there was no proof that a crime had been committed. One thing that was known for sure among family and friends was that it was highly unlikely that Stephanie would have taken off and left everyone behind. Andrea Richter, a family friend, would tell the telegram, quote, I think something bad has happened to her. The cops are telling her family members that things look bad. We hope it doesn't take that direction, but Steph wouldn't just take off like that and abandon her sons like that. Another individual, Derek Douglas, listed in the telegram as Stephanie's stepson, so possibly Brian Welch's son, would add, quote, I've heard so many rumors. I just don't know what to believe. 
the police aren't telling the family everything they know. They've got more than they're telling us. I think something bad happened to her, because I don't see her as someone who would leave her kids. She was a really good mom. She had so many family members here, and friends. I just don't think she'd get up and leave. When asked about his missing fiancé, and the town rumors, Ray Moore would state, quote, We don't know anything different. We're just waiting. I'm getting discouraged. It's been ten days, and we haven't heard anything from her. Adding to the mystery and confusion of Stephanie's disappearance would be a disagreement from Brian Welch on the state of his and Stephanie's relationship. Stephanie was reportedly waiting for her divorce to finalize in July of 2001, at which point she planned to marry Ray Moore. Brian, however, would tell the Selena Journal on March 23, 2001, quote, One thing I do know for sure is that she wasn't getting married to Ray Moore. She told me that herself. The last time we were together, about six weeks ago, she said, I wish there was a way you could get temporary custody of the children. Steph is soft-hearted and doesn't want to break anyone's heart. If she left, it would be in a way that she wouldn't have to hurt more. She told me she wanted me to get temporary custody. She left knowing I'd get them. I never could find if Ray Moore had any comment on this. I was never actually able to find any direct quote from him other than the one that I stated earlier. This would also be one of a few interviews where Brian made such a claim. In another interview, he would state that, quote, the whole time we were separated, she begged me to get back together. Brian Welch would finish out the interview by stating, quote, I've cried every day and drove 1,000 miles looking under culverts, bridges. My senses are dull. It's in people's nature to think the worst. I've thought it all. I just rather hope she comes home. My children and I will never stop loving her and missing her. If she is somewhere where she reads this, I would like to tell her every light in the house is on. Several months would carry on with family and authorities continuing their search. The Kansas Bureau of Investigation and search dogs would even be brought in to assist, and aerial searches would be done. Both Stephanie's 24th birthday and her supposed wedding date would also come and go. But even with the searches and these important dates, no sign of Stephanie Welch could be found. According to the Garden City Telegram, by October of 2001, Kearney County Attorney Dennis Jones had put together two inquisitions in Stephanie's disappearance. Generally, an inquisition is when evidence is presented and witnesses are questioned in front of a judge and a jury. If you're wondering how that's different than a normal courtroom trial, or what made it specifically different, so was I. From what I can tell, it's a sort of trial aimed at getting truth through questioning, rather than focus purely on one individual's guilt. Questions will generally be asked by a judge, with no prosecuting or defense lawyers present, or at the very most, only a prosecutor present. In this case, Dennis Jones. If someone has a clear definition or explanation, please feel free to email or DM me.
Even Google didn't really give me a 100% straight answer. These inquisitions, however, would reportedly bring no new clues or answers. I did find these inquisitions interesting, though, as Kearney County investigators would say from day one that they had little in the way of clues. Aside from Ellie Mae Watts alluding to the press that the cops had an unofficial suspect, little had been said in the way of any persons of interest or evidence. In 2002, however, investigators would begin to loosen up a little on information and give a bleak update when it was announced in March of 2003 that Stephanie's case had been redesignated from a missing persons case to a probable homicide. Detective Daryl Waters, the lead investigator at the time, would tell the Garden City Telegram, quote, We have enough information from day one that she wasn't coming home. She was away against her will. We had to let time pass and hope that she would come back, but she never turned up. You would say that there is a suspect, and that charges could be filed any day. He would state, quote, There's a couple of pieces of information we need, and we'll be ready to charge. I have no idea when we'll get it, but we'll have a fairly good circumstantial case. There's a person out there with information, but that person doesn't want to part with it. We looked at people close to her, or friends of a friend. It keeps coming back. There have been a number of people removed from suspicion, but some haven't been removed by their own choosing. Unfortunately, those people would never come clean, and the missing pieces would never fall into place. The last article I could find with any updated information was in 2004, where Kearney County Sheriff James Jarbo would state that there were fingerprints and fibers from the 1990 Mazda Stephanie was driving. The prints and fibers were sitting in a Kansas Bureau of Investigation lab, waiting for the day they may hopefully become of use. The few sources I could find since that time ultimately repeat the same information. And from what we as the public can best tell, there has been little movement since that time. Stephanie's father, and only living parent at the time of her disappearance, Jeffrey Peterson, would unfortunately pass away in 2004, never getting answers to what happened to his daughter. According to some reports, Brian Welch, Stephanie's estranged husband, moved temporarily to Colorado with Stephanie's two young boys, though they reportedly returned to Lakin after a short time. Brian Welch passed away in Lakin in 2014, also never receiving answers. According to the 2004 Garden City Telegram article, Ray Moore moved to Oklahoma, and at the time he didn't wish to comment on the case anymore, and only stated that he hoped for closure. As far as people's whereabouts, though, our main focus, Stephanie Welch, with her, we have no reports, no statements, nothing to go on as to where her current whereabouts may be. A young, loving mother drops her children off at preschool and daycare. Only a few hours later, her vehicle is found a block and a half from her home. 
showing signs of being driven far and wide, even though Stephanie would have no reason to leave town that day. A man who has never been identified is seen walking away from the vehicle, and Stephanie's jacket, wallet, and money is left in the vehicle. Furthermore, she leaves behind a reported fiancé, and most importantly, her two children. In 22 years, she has yet to be found, and her case now seems just as cold as the February day she vanished from the face of the earth. In the absence of any more or new information, we're left with some very, very general theories. There's really only ever been two possibilities here. Either Stephanie Welch left of her own accord, or she met with foul play. Leaving of her own accord has been viewed as a very unlikely scenario. Stephanie was a dedicated mother, one of which no one believed she would possibly leave her kids behind. Couple that with the fact that she was reportedly set to be married, it seems highly unlikely that she would take off. Although Brian Welch, from what I can interpret from his statements, made it sound like he thought she could have left because she didn't want to break anyone's heart, and she knew the kids would be with him. While possible, this also seems unlikely, because it's been driven home that she would have never left her kids behind. Some might find his statements strange and a little too specific, but I also know I would be doing what I could to rationalize my wife's disappearance were it to happen to me. As far as her meeting with foul play, this seems to be the working theory of investigators, and it's easy to see why. Ray Moore's car, which Stephanie was driving, is parked in a random mobile home park a block and a half away from her home. Stephanie doesn't know anyone in the park. The car appears to be well-traveled for what Stephanie had planned that morning, having more miles than it should have and being covered in snow and ice. Stephanie's coat, and it's a cold day, is left in the car, as well as her wallet with $500. And most importantly, a man dressed in black, who was not Stephanie, is seen leaving the area. Furthermore, the lights and computer, things Stephanie would have shut off, were left on in her home, as if she left unexpectedly. Her vehicle and money being left behind are telling signs for me. You need money to leave, and $500 is a good chunk of change to have on hand. Why would you leave it behind, even as a distraction? Furthermore, while it is possible that the man seen walking from the car was actually Stephanie, and everyone who saw her was mistaken. Why would she drive all over hell only to park the car in an area close to her house, where people could definitely recognize her? To me, it would make more sense to drive further away and ditch the vehicle at that juncture. Police also seem to have a suspect or suspects in mind, but have just been missing the vital piece to finally arrest them. I believe that evidence is probably something connecting the individual to Stephanie as well as her missing body, something noted by Detective Daryl Walters in a February 2003 article as a vital piece that was missing, and also stating, quote, We only have one shot at proving the case in court, and we need to make sure we have everything we are going to get before we file our case. 
So it seems police probably know something. We just unfortunately have not had the day come where they could act on it. I do think it's important to note that neither Brian Welch or Ray Moore have ever been even hinted at to the public by police as being persons of interest. And some sources also note them as not being considered strong suspects. I only bring this up because statistically it is someone close to the victim and it's certainly easy to jump right to the conclusion on a husband or boyfriend. However, while there seems to be some strange conjecture between the two in terms of relationship status, neither one has ever done or said anything that we know of to make a strong theory, even in the court of public opinion. Based off what we know, foul play seems likely, but we can't completely rule out the possibility Stephanie left of her own accord until we know for sure where she or a body is located. I wish there was more I could say on Stephanie and her character, but there is just such little information out there about this case, about Stephanie, and about any updates that may have occurred. One thing I do know is that Stephanie Welch was a loving mother, sister, friend, granddaughter, and daughter. She was a person with people who loved her and people she loved dearly. Some of those people have unfortunately passed on, but some remain, including her sons, who never had a chance to have a real life with their mother, nor her with them. And that's why it's important that we keep Stephanie's story alive. There hasn't been much reporting on her case over the years, so I strongly encourage you to either share this podcast or any sources you may decide to look into on your own. It's never too late to keep the lost one's stories alive and perhaps kickstart someone's memory. Ellie Mae Watts, Stephanie's grandmother, passed away in 2011, but her statement to the Garden City Telegram in 2003 sticks with me. Quote, People say, It's been a couple of years. Why are they so upset? But they don't know. It's just waiting, wishing, and hoping and praying it'll come to an end. Each day, I look for a message on my answering machine that says, They found her. When last seen, Stephanie, Darlene Welch, was described as being a white female with brown hair and blue eyes. She is listed as being 5 foot 8 inches tall and 190 pounds. She has tattoos on her back and right breast. She has a scar on her left buttock and a scar on her right elbow, and her navel is pierced. She may use the last name Peterson, and some agencies spell her name S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E. Remember, her name is actually spelled S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E. There is no description of what she was wearing at the time. She was last seen on February 28, 2001 at 9.15 a.m. in Lakin, Kansas, after dropping her son off at daycare. She may have returned to her home on Lincoln Avenue in Southeast Lakin. Her car, a 1990 Silver Mazda 626, was parked a block and a half away at 12.30 p.m. in what was then known as the Pepper Trailer Park on Osborne Drive. A man, dressed in black, was seen walking away from the vehicle. 
If alive today, Stephanie would be 45 years old. Foul play is suspected in her case. If you have any information on the disappearance of Stephanie Welch, please contact the Kearney County Sheriff's Office at 620-355-6211 or the Kansas Bureau of Investigation at 1-800-572-7463. If you're looking for any additional information, archived reports from the Garden City Telegram were the most helpful in my research. If you wish to let me know what you think happened, have case suggestions or comments, or just want to follow me and the show on social media, I can be found on Instagram at Midwest Mystery Files, Twitter at Files Midwest, and on Facebook by searching for Midwest Mystery Files. You can also email me at MidwestMysteryFilesPod at gmail.com. I do also post photos and sometimes links relevant to each case on social media, mainly on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods, feel free to rate and review the show. This helps make the show more visible in searches and, more importantly, brings attention to the cases I cover, especially the unknown, lesser known cases like Stephanie Welch's. Thank you to all who have done so already. And then, like I said, guys, today was kind of a shorter case there was actually a second one that was supposed to go along with this but i wasn't sure if i could make it through recording both of them so just look forward to hopefully the next week or so i can record that and kind of get it out as a supplement to this one um in the meantime like i said be sure to check out the crime scenes and cupcakes uh, episode on that case which is rachel pratt otherwise like i said i'll hopefully have mine out sooner rather than later but um until then take care everyone and i will see you all next time